another episode Behind the Vinyl with Darren and Nicholas. Hi guys, welcome back Behind the Vinyl. Uh, Nicholas, how you doing, yeah. mate? I'm good. Good. Good, good, good. good. And um, another bonafide legend on the line, yes. Brian Tapler from Diamond Head. Brian, hey. how are you, mate? I'm good. I'm good too. I'm, uh, I'm over here in England talking to you guys over there in Sweden. Absolutely. <laughs> Always good to talk to you, mate, and uh, yeah. hopefully we'll get to see you really soon. Yeah, let's hope so. Let's hope things start getting back to normal. You know, the the vaccines are appearing on the horizon, and fingers crossed. Yeah. Yep. But one thing it has done is it's it's given you uh, 2020 to um, to re-record uh, "Lightning to the Nations." It has, it has. That, that is the positive that's come out of uh, all this negative. Uh, Raz has had, you know, all the time to uh, mix it and produce it at home. Uh, and we had a deadline of it's got to be ready by the, you know, the end of July. So we were able to meet that. But had it not been for Raz being able to do the, the recordings on his own and, uh, you know, we'd already done the drums and the guitars, but only we'd only DI'd the guitars. And so everything needed to be reamped and things. And uh, we had planned to go into a studio in April, but that, none of that could, could happen because of the lockdown. So Raz reamped everything himself at home with, with a box of doom. And, uh, and so, and then, you know, vocals and mix and uh, managed to get it together. And without Raz, we wouldn't have this album and we wouldn't be having this conversation. Was it, was it, was it his idea initially to do it or was it your idea to? No, neither. It was actually Carl's idea, the drummer. Oh, the drummer. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> the drummer had a good idea. <laughs> uh, last year he said, look, it's the 20th anniversary. I'm sorry, the 40th anniversary in 2020 next year. And uh, maybe we should re-record Lightness of the Nations with this lineup and make it more powerful, you know, bigger sound. And so we all chipped in and said, "Yeah, yeah, I think um, I think that's a good idea." So we set the wheels in motion, and I said, "I want to do some covers uh, to, as bonus tracks because everybody always wants bonus tracks." So that gave us the opportunity to do a Metallica song and do some of my favourite songs as well and songs that we thought would, would really work with Diamond Head and this lineup. Well, you, I mean, you're, you're doing Metallica, Led Zeppelin, Judas Priest and Deep Purple. Were there other bands you talked about, about doing covers by? Yeah, we wanted to do a Black Sabbath song. Obviously, because the you know a major influence on Diamond Head and a, a local band, uh, so we we attempted a couple of Black Sabbath songs in rehearsal. I'd say you know learn, for example, we had a go at Symptom of the Universe and I think Tomorrow's Dream, and uh, it didn't quite work. And it was quite surprising. Uh, I I can only think that the four guys and the sound they make is so unique that it was hard to copy. And mm. I think if we if we had done a Sabbath track, we'd have had to go into it in more detail and try and learn exactly the, the tuning and the, 
the way Tony played and the way Giza played and, the, you know, Aussie is such a big part of the sound. And for some reason, it just didn't quite work. So we left Black Sabbath alone and we moved on to uh, Judas Priest and we thought, let's try some Judas Priest. Speaking of Black Sabbath and you not being able to get it right, I think they're like Nick and I have talked a lot. They're they're a little bit like ACDC, where it kind of sounds simple, but you know when you when you dig a little bit deeper, it's actually it's not simple at all to to cover either of those bands correctly. Yes, I think that's fair enough. Yeah, yeah, you can you can do an approximation of, of, mm. a, of a Black Sabbath or an ACDC song, but to actually record it and get it to to you know good enough to sound great on an album. Uh, there's probably a bit more involved. I, I've heard uh, uh, some covers, you know, of, of Sabbath can work. Uh, I heard the Zach Wilde recently, and I thought that was very good and very close. Uh, yep. But we didn't quite nail it, um, as I say. So m- maybe we, we, you know, more effort or, or attention to detail would have been required. Uh, and we didn't have a massive amount of time anyway, so we, uh, we moved on.
Sabbath in 1978. Had you seen him before that, or was that the first time? No, I'd, I saw them in 1974 when, when I was 14. <laughs> Because I'm fortunate enough to have an older brother who was very much into rock. Uh, I mean, he liked kraut rock. He like he used to go and watch bands like Can and Amon Dahl, uh, and he got me into a lot of rock. You know, Zeppelin and Floyd and. Uh, Deep Purple. But Dave took me to see Black Sabbath on the Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath tour at Birmingham Odeon in 1974. And uh, I, I became a huge fan, uh, saw them again in 78, and I've seen them a couple of times since. But, um, yeah, I love those early Sabbath albums. Everything with Ozzy uh, is, is great. Um Even now, I still try and work out some of their songs. Cornucopia is, you know, Snowblind. There's, there's some amazing riffs uh, in the Black Sabbath catalogue, not just the big ones either. Some of the, 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 the you know, the deep cuts are incredible. Yeah. What, what, was, what was it about the Midlands that, um, because around that time, you know, It produced a little bit later. It produced you, but it also produced like um, Led Zeppelin, like or, or Robert Plant. It produced um, Judas Priest, you know, yeah. Sabbath, of course. Yeah. What, what was it about the Midlands that I've no idea? Was... I've no idea. I'm just grateful for it. I think the fact that Sabbath and Priest both came from the Midlands and were only you know 10 miles away or so from where I lived was very. Um, Um, impressive, uh, what's the word, you know, exciting, the fact that it felt real, it felt like they didn't come from LA or London or Mount Olympus. It felt like they were local guys who'd made good, they'd formed a band, working class, you know, um, and just made their way to the top. And, I, and then I was able to go and watch these bands At, at venues like Birmingham Odeon, and and it would rub off on me all that, uh, all that you know, music, and and I would just think that's what I'd like to do. I, I want to be on that stage. I want to be playing the guitar, and uh, so hugely influential. Uh, but yeah, half of Led Zeppelin with 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 Plant and Bonham from the Midlands, uh, and, and like you say, Sabbath and Priest, huge influence. But it, I mean, it, it, it's so interesting when it comes to um, um, the effect of the environment and where you where you grew up and so on. And and as I understand, I guess it is uh, as you mentioned, working class. Uh, I'm guessing factories, uh, yeah, steel, yeah. and stuff like that. that that's uh, um, a classic escapism, I guess. Yes, exactly. Uh, the, I mean, with the place, the area I live is is 
sort of nicknamed the Black Country, and you've got places like Starbridge and Cradley and Dudley, Wolverhampton, and uh, it, it it was very industrial. Uh, there's there's steelworks and and foundries, drop forges, um, molding. You know, you there was a lot of that, and. Uh, I don't know if that actually influenced Black Sabbath to come up with heavy metal, and uh, and then everybody just ran with the ball once once it had been, you know, once that first Black Sabbath album appeared, it, it was like this this is the future almost, uh, and nobody knew it was still going to be around in fifty years time and just get bigger and bigger and sort of conquer the world, but. Uh, I'm really glad it did. And um, I, I, once I got into rock when I was maybe 13, 12, 13, something like that, it stayed with me to this day. Uh, I'm, I've been a fan ever since.
what do we want to talk about? Should we go I- immigrant song? Let's go immigrant song first. Um, so you've, you've just covered Black Sabbath, but um, how important was, was Led Zeppelin for you? Uh, huge. Uh, I, they're my favourite band, and uh, Physical Graffiti is my favourite album. Okay, um, yep. And Kashmir is my favourite song. So they don't get much bigger than Led Zeppelin for me. <laughs> uh, but Immigrant Song, I've always loved since it, it came out in 1970. I mean, I, probably, I was 10 then, so I was too young yeah. to hear it then. But as soon as I got into Zeppelin, I just thought, what an incredible song, what an incredible riff, and that that vocal, you know, it, the drum pattern, everything about it is just mighty. Uh, so I always tried to write a song like Immigrant Song. That was one of my goals, to write a song as good as Immigrant Song. And I never quite managed. But uh, the idea of covering it was very exciting. And, and I thought, well, if we've got a singer in the band who can do uh, Robert Plant or Rob, Rob Halford, you know, we should definitely, we should be bold, be brave and, and do some big songs. Me and Darren have, we've talked about this before that it's so interesting that um, if a band is influenced by Black Sabbath and, and, and play kind of Sabbath riffs, that's really cool. But if a band is influenced by Led Zeppelin, uh, they usually don't get as many props. And it's, it's looked upon as, you know, old and tiresome and 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 so on which is which is quite interesting yeah i think that's weird uh, the thing with greta van fleet you know everybody went crazy because they sound a bit like zeppelin yeah. and i think that's really strange because nobody bothers when ten thousand bands sound a bit like metallica uh, but yep. the minute anybody dare tread on on led zeppelin's territory everybody goes berserk don't they yeah. why is that it's strange, you know. I've I've done a couple of tracks over the years that that are a bit Zeppelin esque, and uh, you've become a whipping boy for that. It, it's really strange, and yet Zeppelin copied so much from the blues. Yeah. Oh yes, absolutely. And, uh, so why is it not okay to to sound a bit Zeppelin or to do something a bit Zeppelin? It's really weird. It is. Yeah. It is. It, it, <laughs> It's um, it's in. I didn't realize that that was your actually all time favorite band, Led Zeppelin. Yeah, yeah, all since uh, since seventy five. Yeah. So, did, have you um, have you ever crossed paths with any of the guys? I've met yet two out of the four, which uh-huh. I think is pretty impressive. I <laughs> I've got a badge that says that. Okay. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> the pub. And people, <laughs> uh, <laughs> a conversation starter. No, no. Yeah. I, I, Robert Plant lives locally to me. Uh, he lives a couple of miles away. So I've met Robert Plant a couple of times. And he, he even drinks in my local from time to time. Uh, there's a Bathens pub in, uh, in uh, Stourbridge that he drinks in from time to time. Uh, so he's my local hero, you know, he's our local hero, Mr. Plant, you know, dot, dot the calf to uh, the cap to uh, Robert Plant. And then yeah. I met Jimmy Page. I, I've always wanted to meet Jimmy Page. And then in 2000 and possibly eight, Metallica played Wembley Stadium. And because... Um, or it might have been later than that. It might have been 2012 or something. I can't remember. Anyway, 
because Peter Mensch manages Jimmy Page. He was there, and apparently he'd come to see Big Mick mix Metallica because he was considering using Big Mick to mix Led Zeppelin when they did um, that gig, you know, the O2. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, right. Right. Which, so, which they and, did end up using him. Yes, they used Big Mick. And so he was backstage, and uh, I bumped into him, and so I managed to get a quick selfie. Uh, <coughs> and and I, I didn't quite know what to say. You know, 30 years of I wanted to sort of say how, you know, how important Led Zeppelin had been and what a big fan I am of the music and how much pleasure it had brought me. But yeah. in the moment, I, I just, just jumbled my words and didn't know what to say. I felt a bit stupid. <laughs> can, can you remember, did you introduce yourself as Brian uh, from Diamond Head? No, I, I thought, you don't know who Diamond Head are. So I, <laughs> I, I just probably said big fan. You, you could, you know what? I, I would, um, I would challenge you on that. I, I'd be, <laughs> I'd be more inclined to think he would know exactly who yeah, Diamond Head is. Know. Well, he yeah, probably does now. Now we've covered Immigrant Song. Because right, he's, yes, yeah. he's pretty hot on all that, isn't he? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, well, he's, he's always been a record collector and he's always had his, had his finger on the pulse with, with new music. And, um, um, you know, Metallica definitely did bring Diamond Head to the masses, and I'm, I'm sure they brought him towards. I'm sure Jimmy Page would have known who you were. Hopefully, that's a that's a. I'll, I'll sleep easier tonight. <laughs> <laughs> um, Sinner, Judas Priest. What a track! Yeah. Oh, since '75, I've been in love with that track, and I've I've tried to write. Songs like Sinner over the years. I, th I think Sucking My Love borrowed a little bit of the arrangement. Uh, yeah. Well, we also borrowed a bit of um, Victim of Changes as well. Uh, but it's such a great track. It's a song that I sometimes play in, re in rehearsal and sound checks. I, I, I drop that riff and start chugging away, and sometimes everybody joins in. But uh, we, we discussed a couple of other tracks but in the end, I think partly Raz said it's such a big track, it's such a, a statement. You know, I think the Priest fans would be more impressed with us doing Sina than, than uh, you know, an even more obscure track. Because, of course, there's, some, there's bigger Priest songs, isn't there, like Living After Midnight and Hellbent for Leather and yeah. Breaking the Law and stuff. But I, I think it's just a big, mighty, powerful song. And uh, so it's quite tricky, but I, I thought, you know, if Raz can sing it, we should, we should do it. Yeah. yeah I think uh, kudos to you for, for picking a song like that. And as you mentioned, yeah. not picking a song like Breaking the Law that people have heard over and over. And yeah, I think so. It, it required more work and more uh, uh, input from, from Diamond Ed to, to get it to, to happen rather than just, you know, Breaking the Law is fairly simple song, but but Sinner's got a lot of tricky time signatures and all sorts going on. It's a, it's a it's a real work of art. Yeah, yeah, and and the the other guys like Raz, for instance, you said he he's definitely capable of singing it, yeah. but um, it, there's a little bit of an age difference between you guys. Um, do do was there a 
was there any discussions on um, like was he straight up? Let's do a priest song. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, he respects my uh, choice anyway, and and we had to do songs really that meant something to Diamond Head. Uh, it would make it wouldn't make sense to do a modern song, you know, something by. Uh, I don't know, but uh, I just thought let's do some some songs that influenced me and influenced Diamond Head. So obviously, Sabbath, Zeppelin, Priest, things like that were, were going to be top of the tree. Deep Purple, and uh, it was just a, a question of settling on the right songs for this band. Yeah. Well, did did you see Priest back in the day as well? Oh, of course. I saw Priest in, uh, I think, 73 um, at Birmingham Town Hall, and they opened for, uh, sorry, they opened for Budgie, and it was 70 pence to get in. And they were great, really great. I think it was the first album, Rock and Roller, uh, where um, Halford would have long, straight hair and a flowing, silky, you know, blouse type thing. Uh, but then I saw them later f- several times. I probably saw them about eight times over the years on, on Stained Class and uh, uh, Killing Machine and, and British Steel and, and then f- I- later albums as well. But, uh, yeah, I've seen them a few times. They're great. I've g- written some brilliant songs. Yeah. And, and how much of, of a local hero was he to you as well? Well, they all were local. They're all Midlands. So, do, uh, do, do any of them still live around that area? Oh, I really don't know. I, mm. I think KK Downing lives locally, doesn't he? Didn't he buy a golf course or something? He, he, he did buy a golf course somewhere. Yeah, yeah. that's Midlands-ish. Uh, I think right. Halford lives in LA. Um, but I don't know uh, where Ian Hill lives or or... I mean, Tipton's not in the band now, is he? But uh, Andy Sneep's joined, isn't he? He's from sort of Derby yeah, way, I think. Yeah, he's he's a Midlands boy as well. Yeah, so. I've met Andy I kinda, times. I, well, he's 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 such a great producer. I kind of thought it was cool because Judas Priest could have anyone. I yes. kind of thought it was pretty cool that they um, they put a Midlands kid in there as well. Yes, it, it was. Maybe you know, if you can have anyone, you may as well have somebody you like. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. How about getting uh, Andy Sneep to produce Diamondhead? It's too expensive. Oh. It's probably 800, 900 pounds a day. We can't afford that. Right. Right. Fortunately, we got Ras. Yeah. <laughs> We've got a producer but, in the band. Yeah, but yeah. like seriously, this this album is so much it's so much more powerful and dynamic than nothing against the original. The original was was great but this one is so so much more powerful and 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 dynamic and you know he, he's really done you guys have really done justice to these songs here yeah, yeah. thank you yeah i think so i think uh it, he's done a great job i mean we were all slightly concerned that you know the the, the old fans may not like it or they may think oh you know I, I like the original i don't want I don't want it messed with. You don't, I don't want to hear a new version. I don't want to hear a different singer. It's, it's easy to be negative, but uh, yeah. all we could do is make it as good as we possibly could with, you know, our budget and our time frame and our lockdown uh, limitations, if you like. But Raz is, is really good, so he's managed to pull something out the hat. And I think he even impressed himself 
because he's such a you know fussy guy and very often he'll he'll um you know moan about stuff but on this case he even he thought it sounded really really great and he he he, he almost couldn't believe uh you know what he was hearing at times uh, and and once it was mastered you know the guy who mastered it was very complimentary and said you know he's really getting the hang of this production lark you know you guys have to uh, rehearse anything because you probably played these songs together yeah. you know a million times but did you did you go back in and and rehearse them at all no we didn't buy that no point all all we had to do is just agree on a tempo and so i i worked out tempos at home and then we quickly with carl went over some tempos and we may have adjusted them up and down slightly but we pretty much would do them how we've been doing them live for years yep. and so that will have settled into a tempo that we're com comfortable 
familiar with. Uh, uh, we had to rehearse the four covers. Of course, so we, we yeah. did that in December and January. And, uh, uh, yeah. But that, that's probably one of the reasons why it's so dynamic as well, because you, although you know all the songs, you didn't rehearse it. Often, sometimes I, I find bands lose it when they're so, you know, the so finely rehearsed and all that kind of stuff. Or in the studio, they're they're playing it over and over and over again, you know, 20, 30, 40 takes on a song. I, yeah, we I, didn't do any of that. Yeah. It was all done pretty quick, all that was. I, I did all the guitars in uh, two days, so there wouldn't oh, be time to do 20 takes. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Um, Deep Purple. This This is a little bit more of an obscure song. It is. It is. Well, I didn't want to do anything off Machine Head because that's such a beast of an album, so famous already. I yep. thought let's let's pick something a little bit more off the wall. Um, and I also, I'm a big fan of this album, Who Do You Think We Are, which is the album after Machine Head. And uh, I I had this as a as a kid. I remember having the cassette of it and. Uh, I didn't want to do a song that, that had too much keyboard in it. That was a lot of their songs. John Lord is so massive, a part of the track, and we don't have a keyboard player. So I thought, let's do something that'll work with guitars. Uh, I, I, I gravitated towards Rap Bat Blue. I said, let's try Rap Bat Blue in rehearsal. Everybody learned it, and it sounded great. And we just had to sort of chop. There is a big long weird keyboard solo in, in Rap Bat Blue. With, it sounds like the keyboard speeded up. And uh, we had to chop that bit out or chop it down and sort of turn it into a bit of a guitar solo. But uh, apart from that, it, it, it sounded really, really great. And, and that was it. And again, I, I thought if Russ, if Russ can sing it, let's do it. This is also the, uh, this was the last album with uh, Gillen before they, then later on, uh, return with Perfect Strangers. That's right. Yeah, after after who do you think we are? They got uh, David Coverdale in, didn't they? And Glenn Hughes. Yeah, but I like Perfect Strangers. I think that's a that's a good. Oh, yes, uh, mm -hmm. that's a good track. Yeah, I like that. that. And I went to see them then as well. Uh, they did Nebworth in '85. I went to right. That.
kill them all. Well, that brings us back to um, <laughs> your, Metall your Metallica cover. Um, no remorse. Um, where did that come from? Um, I wanted to do something off the debut album. Mm -hmm. uh, but because, you know, Metallica only did covers from Diamond Edge's debut album. And uh, I wanted to do something that suited Diamond Head. And I think... <coughs> Uh, I think Diamond Head's influence on Metallica is the strongest on Kill 'Em All, and so when I listened to "To No Remorse," I, I could see that there's elements of Diamond Head in that song in the writing, and uh, I said to everyone, "Let's have a go at No Remorse." Nobody knew how to play No Remorse in the band, but I thought, "Let's have a go at it. Let's learn it, try it." And as soon as we started playing it in rehearsal, it sounded great. The best of the four, really, came together really quickly. So mm. I just, uh, that was, a, the search was off, and we're going to do No Remorse. So did you try out any other Metallica songs from Kill Em All? No, because that one, that was the one. It, as soon as we did it, it, it worked. Uh, obviously, I'd have had to go back to the drawing board if it didn't, but uh, it, it worked straight away, and it was great, and we were all excited, and we couldn't wait to play it, really, because it's it's very fast. It's probably the fastest song we've ever recorded. That right. that end section is faster than anything Diamond Dead's ever done. So uh, it was it was a, a real, uh, really great to to, to play, and uh, very exciting. It's kind of like that um, teacher becomes the student kind of vibe you know, bit, to the fact. Yeah. yeah. But we influenced uh, them and then we've ended up recording one of their songs. It is slightly weird, but it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, just about them covering you guys a lot, definitely back in the beginning. That was still when you were pretty young because you, when you recorded this uh, album originally, you, you guys were like 19, 20 years old, right? That's correct. Yeah. 19, 20. <laughs> Yeah, um, so that's that's you know that's crazy. That's that's really young, you know, to to be writing the the songs that this record has. You know, the Prince and Helpless and It's Electric and yeah. Am I Evil. That's you know amazing songs for for a debut album. I didn't realise it at the time. You know, I thought everybody was like that, but uh, in hindsight, I realised yeah we were pretty uh, ahead of the game there to be to be doing those big classic epic songs at that age. Uh, and I can only think one of the reasons we, that debut album is so good and has lasted so long is the quality of the writing. Uh, and when Diamond Head formed in 1976, the first thing we did was start writing songs. And we used to get together every week and we would write every week. We didn't have, we didn't do any gigs in 76. We did I think one gig in 1977. So all we were doing is writing songs. And by the time we went in to make Lightning to the Nations, we'd written about 100 songs. So the seven songs we chose were the best songs that we had, and we'd learned that craft over the years. Uh, obviously, our early songs weren't very good, but we got better and better and better. And uh, so when we appear with Lightning to the Nations, suddenly you've got wow these are good you know people got very excited about the band
I, I once, I think I read somewhere that you had said, um, you know, you, you wrote original songs because you re weren't really that good at doing cover versions. Yeah, that's that? true. Yeah. We did a couple yeah. of covers here and there. We did Paranoid and we did Motorhead and we mm. did this a punk rock song by a band called The Top Darts called uh, It's All For The Love Of Rock And Roll. And uh, yeah, they weren't very good somehow. We, we, didn't, we didn't seem like we were very good at doing covers. And, and that's not really what we wanted to do anyway. We wanted to write a great song. We wanted to sort of join in with our heroes and, and, uh, and, and you know, conquer the world, I suppose. But, uh, yes, yeah, songwriting became our thing, and that's what we really enjoyed doing. And it's very satisfying, that creative spark. Uh, Sean and I worked very well together as a, as a writing team. Um, so we just went with that. that. That was what we were good at. Right. I'm thinking, um, I just realized this, that uh, Sweet and Innocent, which was released as a single, uh, you had um, uh, Streets of Gold as a B-side. Yes. Which was produced by Robin George. That's right, yeah. That's right. Robin George can't, I mean, he must have been your age? or uh, No, it's a tiny bit older. I'd it say he's about, he was probably in his early 20s. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. And what it was, we had this guy called Pete Winkleman who was in, interested in the band. Uh, and he wanted to do a little label. So he'd already got Robin George as his protege. Uh, and they did a single. And then uh, he must have done some deal where they get a, a, a Diamond Head single. So we ended up re-recording uh, Sweet and Innocent because we'd already done it on the album. Right. So we did a new version, which is where, you know, there's two different lyrics there. There's a bit of a, a weird anomaly when, that the album version and the single got different lyrics. Uh, and and for a B-side, we, we, we got this song called Streets of Gold. So we recorded that uh, in this, in the same studio where we did Light into the Nations, but Robbie George produced it because he, as I say, was Pete's protege, uh, right. and we we didn't like the production. We thought the album was better. The guy who, who made the album was just the the studio engineer, and then and then that that brought in uh, Robin George, and we didn't like it. We thought he he managed to sound. We make Sean sound like he was singing down a drain pipe or something, and uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it didn't sound it didn't sound any better for a producer getting hold of it for some reason, you know. And I also put on some really almost twee backing vocals, you know, with harmonies and that. And, and again, we weren't necessarily into that. Well, Robin George just—I mean, he released an album later, and he had a kind of a hit with I think it was Heartline, but then he yeah. just kind of disappeared. Yes, he did. I don't think he, it wasn't a big hit. It was only probably a hit over in yeah. the UK. And yeah. I, I went to see them at Birmingham Odeon and it, that venue holds 2,200 people, I think. And there was about 200 people there, just wow. like the first couple of rows. So we obviously didn't really connect with people and he didn't have much of a following. And uh, yeah, I think it just kind of fizzled out. Yeah. Yeah, strange. Never mind. Yep. There's a lot of casualties um, in this business. Oh, yeah. yeah. There's a lot. There's definitely a lot. 
just coming towards the end of our chat. Um, Am I Evil? Um, probably, probably your biggest song from this record. Um, how did it feel to redo that one in particular? Uh, well, I, 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 we were just pretty much doing the versions that we've been doing live. That song has not changed since 1980. Uh, it's exactly the same as it is on the debut album. Um, so it's just a case of re-recording it. Uh, play what you've been playing live. No fuss. Nobody suggested let's do a different this. Let's let's do a different that. You know, we put some guitar layers on, and uh, Raz put uh, some backing vocals here and there, but nothing too drastic that would sort of pull you away from the how it how it was. You know, how it originally uh, was written. Um, Hasn't Metallica played that like something like 700 or 800 times live? Something yeah, I think amazing. it's about 750, yeah. More times than Diamond Head have played it live, which is Because <laughs> we've played like every gig pretty much. And, yeah, and so. I, I think they pretty much played every gig since, you know. For, you <laughs> something know. like that, yeah. I, I, still... I've seen them not play it, but I've also seen them play it, yeah, a few yeah. times. <laughs> but it's funny. It's 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 one of those it's one of those riffs that every time you hear it, you pull out the air guitar. Yeah, and you, riff, and you riff along to it. I can't even play guitar, but when am I evil? As soon as I heard that riff, man, I'm playing along as much as I can. <laughs> it's just a good riff. I would say so myself. I, I'm proud of that song. Yeah. yeah. Did it, didn't you play with Metallica like in the um, like on the Master of Puppets tour? I did, yeah. They played Birmingham Odeon in '86, and uh, I went along. Lars would phone me up in the afternoon and say, "We're playing Birmingham Odeon tonight," but I can't do the accent. <laughs> and uh, I just uh, turned up, and they they strap on one of James's flying V's and introduce me. You know, this, this is the guy who played this next song, who wrote this next song. You know, and uh, so yeah, I play. I got to play Am I Evil with Cliff Burton. Uh, which was oh, quite yeah. something, yeah. and uh, yeah. there you go. Well, that, that was the first time you saw them, wasn't it? Yes, first time you saw first them live. Time. It was their first tour of the UK. Yeah, and, and uh, they played Birmingham Odeon, and they must have had eighteen hundred in, so they were doing really well even then. I was quite shocked how how busy the gig was because I thought I thought they were this little cult thrash band from. You know, San Fran, and, and I turn up, and the, the place is nearly full. I thought, bloody hell, what's going on here? Well, that's that's when you think about it. It's actually not too long after you'd first met him. You know, obviously everyone knows the story where he come over and slept on your guy's sofa or floor or, yep. you know, and travelled around. But wasn't that in, like, 80 or 81? 81. 81. Yep. So that's, that's not really – that's five years, you know, and um, – yeah, Suddenly, that that, that kid is now yeah. That's really from, quick. From forming the band to selling a million records was probably five years. So that's yeah. really fast. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I always, um, I think it's a testament to you guys, and it's to, to Diamond, and a testament to the song "Am I Evil." That that was the song that brought everyone together at that first big four. No one knew whether there was going to be a second big four or a third big four, but. Uh, everyone got together, the Mustaines and, uh, you know, or the Megadeths and the Anthrax and 
um, Metallica and Slayer to play Am I Evil. They could have played any other song, you know, but it was yeah. it was really cool that it was Am I Evil. It was really cool. I, I was shocked. I was I was very flattered, but I was surprised because, you know, we could all name 20 songs off the top of our head that they could have done, and uh, they picked Am I Evil, so it was it was amazing. And I got to play with them as well at... Uh, at um, Nebworth and and Sonosphere France, uh, so we did a couple of Sonospheres. But uh, that was that was yeah, really really amazing to see that. It was uh, Bulgaria, wasn't it? That first one. It was. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So hang on a sec. You got you got to play it again with Metallica, or you got to play it with the Big Four? Yeah, it was the Big Four. At, oh, uh, you got to play it with the Big Four as well. Yeah, because we were offered the chance to open for the Big Four at Nebworth. Uh, England oh, and France. Man. So on the main stage, you know, we opened the show. Then it went on to Anthrax, Megadeth, Slayer, and uh, Metallica. And at, after Metallica, of course, all the gear was brought back on, and uh, they introduced, you know, Brian from Diamond Head and and all that lot. And so we did Am I Evil at uh, at Nebworth. We're amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> a good day. That was a good day. Yeah. <laughs> I can imagine that. Memory banks, that is, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Brian, I think we're out of time. Um, okay. Always a pleasure, mate. Great, great yeah. talking to you. Thank you. Yeah, good to talk, Darren. Yeah. And and um and we'll talk soon, mate. And congratulations. This is out on November twenty seventh. Um. So um. Yes. Um. Congratulations. You know. Well done with this. Thank oh, you yeah. very much. Thank you very much. It's been good to talk. Enjoyed it. Thank you, mate. Talk cool. to you soon.